introduction, I'm going to uh, use a cultural reference that might only appeal to a small portion, portion of the church gathered today. Um, for some of you, this is going to be a cultural reference that you are too young for, and for some of you, this is going to be a cultural reference that you're too old for. Uh, but I remember that when I was a kid, there was this very bizarre, very awkward uh, craze, this fad, uh, known as the Yo Mama Joke phase. And people and kids, when I was in school, were always making yo mama jokes. And they were typically vulgar and inappropriate, but at the same time, they were also kind of lighthearted. Usually, the person telling the joke was really not interested in hurting your mother's feelings. Um, but they would tell these yo mama jokes. Your mama's so fat. Your mama's so dumb. Your mama this, your mama that. And it was very bizarre. It became very popular, and it was happening all the time. As a matter of fact, there was a, a TV show that started that was just people coming together and telling Yo Mama jokes, and people would vote on the funniest, and they would advance. It was like a round-robin Yo Mama joke tournament. And it became so popular that it really started to de-evolve over time, where people stopped even telling the jokes. They would just simply, anytime you said you were doing something, they would just say, your mom is doing that thing. So like, hey, I need to go to the store. Your mom needs to go to the store. It was like, that was the joke. And then it even devolved to an even smaller portion where they would just simply say, your mom. Right? That, that was the insult, your mom. We just kind of shortened it over time. It was very bizarre. Uh, and, and it's, for the most part, over. But what you're going to find is kind of funny. If you would open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, because what we're going to see on behalf of the Apostle Paul as he continues in the book of Galatians his argument against the Judaizers, Paul is about to tell us a very pious, a very sophisticated, a very appropriate yo mama joke. In other words, if you wanted to try to be funny, you could essentially summarize Paul's argument in the book of Galatians to the Judaizers as yo mama. Yo mama. This is Paul's very important, very pious Yo Mama joke. We have been seeing so much of Paul throughout the book of Galatians stressing and emphasizing our relationship to Abraham. That's kind of the controversy of Galatians, justification and being a descendant of Abraham. And Paul's going to bring the mamas into it now. Now we're going to stop talking about Father Abraham so much, and we're going to talk about the mamas now, and we're going to see how important our spiritual mother actually is. So if you would follow along with me in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21, for these are the very words of God. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. 
For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but children of the free woman. What we discussed last week, we spent all of our time talking about the nature of Paul's argument being allegorical, and so we've covered that. So now we're going to look at what he actually finds as he reads the Old Testament allegorically, and specifically the, uh, the story surrounding Abraham. So just by way of recap, he, he very briefly recaps it in verse 22. But Abraham at the, at, was first named Abram and was married to Sarai, and God eventually changed her names to Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham and Sarah were married, and Sarah was barren. She was not able to have children. And this lasted obviously long into her later years, and so eventually she was not only barren, but then she eventually was just too old to have children naturally. So children was out of the question, and so it was actually Sarah's idea. Uh, They had a slave named Hagar, a female slave, and Sarah said, "Uh, you need a descendant, and I can't provide that for you, so why don't you marry your slave Hagar, and she can give us a descendant. So Abraham listens to the voice of his wife, he does this, and through Hagar, he marries Hagar, and they have Ishmael. And so Ishmael sort of technically becomes Abraham's firstborn son, and the heir of all of Abraham's possessions. And then God, not long after that, appears to Abraham and says, that was never my plan. I am going to give you a son through Sarah, and he will be considered your firstborn, and he will be the inheritor of the promises. And Abraham, he he actually pleads for Ishmael. He says, I'm in my 90s. (laughs) Sarah's in her 90s. Like, we can't do this. I've given you a firstborn. Why can't Ishmael inherit this stuff? And God says, I've got my own plans for Ishmael. Uh, you, You know, I'll do my own thing with him. But no, I've given you a promise, and that promise will be carried out through Isaac. And then about a year later, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. And so now Abraham has two sons with different women. And Hagar was Abraham's slave wife. And so Ishmael, her son, became not only Abraham's son, but he was also a slave. Because if a slave gives birth, then that child is owned by the master as well. So Hagar and Ishmael are related to Abraham, but they are still his slaves. While Sarah and Isaac are also related to Abraham, but they are free. They're not slaves. And Paul says that this important paradigm serves allegorically to teach us a lesson about the gospel, about the nature of the gospel. And so that's what he continues to do in verse 24 through 31. And one of the first things we see, we're not going to look at every single one, but we have this incredible list of pairings in the text. These, 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 these couplets, these things coming in pairs. We have Sarah versus Hagar. Isaac versus Ishmael, Old Covenant versus Abrahamic or New Covenant, present Jerusalem with the Jerusalem that is above, what we call the heavenly Jerusalem. We have the flesh versus the promise. We have these pairings all throughout, and the key one is this pairing of slavery versus freedom. And that's the one that he's going to emphasize. But what you'll find is in these pairings in this historical story, Paul sees an allegorical or typological meaning to all of them. Hagar is the Old Covenant. Ishmael are those who are under the Old Covenant. 
Sarah is the new covenant, the church, and Christians are all those who are of the church or under the new covenant. Present Jerusalem is the modern-day Jews who are enslaved to the law. And the heavenly Jerusalem is the redeemed church of Jesus Christ. Physical slavery equals spiritual slavery. Physical freedom equals spiritual redemption. And this physical line of descent, this physical chosen line, is equivalent to God's predestined, elect, spiritual line. So we could break this down for hours if we wanted to and really analyze all of these different analogies that Paul brings out. But the key, the key one to keep in mind for the, the entire text is this issue of slavery versus freedom. This issue of who is your mother? Is she a slave or is she free? Who do you belong to, Sarah or Hagar? That is the main comparison Paul brings up. So let's look at Mother Hagar. Paul says in verse 24, this may be interpreted allegorically, these women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery, and she is Hagar. So if you remember, what happened at Mount Sinai is the giving of the law. It was the Mosaic covenant. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He receives the covenant. And how does Abraham interpret that? Abraham interprets that as Moses receiving a covenant of slavery. We don't have time to break this down, but we actually already have, right? When Paul talks about the purpose of the law, he talks about how even though the law is good and even though the law is righteous, because of our sin, we have made the law a burden, because of us transgressing the covenant, now all the law can do is give you a list of standards you can never follow. All it can do, what Paul says, is to increase your sin and increase your condemnation. And there's nothing in your power you can do to get out of that condemnation. So it's in that sense that the law is a slave master, a ruthless, cruel slave master. And so everyone who covenanted into that covenant essentially became slaves enslaved to the law, enslaved to condemnation. So we have the, the covenant itself being a covenant of slavery, and then everyone in that covenant are now slaves to the law. And Paul says that that is what Hagar represents. Hagar was a woman, a slave woman, who gave birth to a slave child. The law was a covenant of slavery, and it gave birth, metaphorically, to slave children. So if you are under the law... You're a slave. If the law is still what God is going to judge you by when you die, you're a slave. And if you're a slave, then you are not in the line of Isaac. Because Isaac wasn't no slave. Because Sarah wasn't no slave. So what has he done? Everyone who is under the law of Moses cannot truly trace their ancestry back to Isaac. They might be able to physically do that, but spiritually, they do not belong to Isaac. They belong to Ishmael because they're slaves like Ishmael. He continues that this Mount Sinai who is Hagar, she corresponds to present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. He reiterates that the Judaizers are Jews likely living in Jerusalem and they have come into Galatia to distort the gospel. They have come into Galatia and say, listen, I'm glad you're Christians. I'm glad you believe in Jesus. But you have to understand, we know the Old Testament. You guys are Gentiles. You don't know the Old Testament, okay? It's outside of your culture. It's outside of your understanding. You haven't been studying your whole life. We know it. You need to listen to us. It's not enough to just believe in Christ. That's good. 
But that's, that is not enough. You see, you have to become Jewish. You have to obey the law that God gave. You have to become part of the promise line of Abraham, and you do that by obeying the law. So their gospel was one, not just of faith, but one of obedience to the law. You had to become part of the Abrahamic family, and they thought your entryway into that was the law. And so Paul brilliantly flips that on its head with this allegorical reading. Because Paul says, here's the irony. Every one of you who thinks the law is your salvation, the law is your justification, the law is how you are made right with God and put into the promised line of Abraham, guess what he just did to you? He turned you into a Gentile. All these Jewish Judaizers who came from Jerusalem, Paul says, they're not Jews, they're Gentiles. Because, you see, Ishmael, he's a descendant of Abraham, is he not? Ishmael has purer Abrahamic blood than any human being living in Jerusalem today. There, are, there is no one in the world other than Isaac who can claim a more direct, pure line to Abraham than Ishmael. So Ishmael was a descendant of Abraham. So he's part of the promise, right? No. From the very get-go, God said, he is not and never will be. So his bloodline doesn't matter. He was a slave outside of the covenant and promises of God. So guess what Paul's saying to the Judaizers? You come in and we're the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. Or forgive me, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paul says, yeah, Ishmael was a descendant of Abraham too. Didn't help him. You might be a physical descendant of Isaac, but as long as you're under the law, Hagar is your mother, not Sarah. Ishmael is your correspondent, not Isaac. All these Jews that came in, because remember Ishmael, because he was outside of the covenant, he would be considered a Gentile. In fact, he became the father of the Arab nation. Ishmael is as Gentile as it gets. And Paul says to all these Jewish, these physical Jews who've come in with this false gospel, Paul says, guess what? You belong to Arabia. That's who you belong to spiritually. You're a Gentile. If you're under the law, you're a slave. And if you're a slave, you spiritually, you're a Gentile. He's taken the heart of their identity away from them. You are no descendant of Isaac. You are a descendant of Hagar, of Ishmael. And he says, all of present Jerusalem, generally speaking, is this way. Because, why? Because Jerusalem has rejected their Messiah. So they are still bound under the old covenant, and that's a covenant that cannot save them. It can only condemn them. So that's why he says in verse 25 that all of Jerusalem is essentially equivalent to the slave Hagar because Jerusalem is enslaved, and all of the Israelites, all of the Jews, are like Ishmael, the children of a slave. So Paul goes on to allegorically establish that those Jews who are seeking to push obedience to the law as our righteousness are not Jews at all. Not spiritually. Not in a meaningful way. They're Gentiles. So who then are the true Jews? Well, let's look at Mother Sarah. Paul says in verse 26, after saying that present Jerusalem is a slave nation with slave children, Paul says in verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Now, this can be kind of confusing because Paul begins in verse 24 by saying the two women equal the two covenants. 
And he's very explicit with the old, but he's not so explicit with the new. Because he, 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 he explicitly identifies who the old covenant is. It's Hagar. But it's interesting, he tells us that the two women equal the covenants, but then when he shifts his focus to talking about this other covenant, he doesn't mention anything about Sarah in verse 26, but about Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. But we know that he's also talking about Sarah, because what did he say in verse 24? Or forgive me, 20, yeah, 24, that these two women are two covenants. So in other words, here's what Paul is doing. Sarah... And the heavenly Jerusalem are both allegory, allegories for the new covenant. Now, why do I say the new covenant? Well, because the covenant in view here is the Abrahamic covenant. And our church is split Presbyterian and Baptist, and they would understand this slightly differently. But there is a general agreement that the Abrahamic covenant is essentially the new covenant. One would say that it is the new covenant. Uh, planted and then culminated. Uh, Baptists would say that it was merely a promise. The covenant wasn't actually instituted until the new. But both sides would agree that the Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant are essentially the same thing. So I'm going to use the phrase the new covenant, even though technically the Abrahamic covenant is what he's writing about. But, but we all see them as the same thing. So Paul says Hagar equals the old covenant. And then he says Sarah and the new Jerusalem equal the new covenant. Hagar in present Jerusalem, old covenant. Sarah and Christians equal new covenant. But what is the heavenly Jerusalem? Or I call it heavenly, what he says, the Jerusalem for above, from above. I would argue that this is a symbol for the Christian church. Because what is present Jerusalem? Present Jerusalem was, uh, maybe not present today, but Jerusalem itself was a holy city filled up with the chosen people of God. And we see now that that was actually a type, that was a foreshadow of the Christian community. What is the Christian community? What is the church? It's a heavenly spiritual dwelling of the chosen people of God. Jerusalem was a type, the Israelite people were a type, a foreshadow of this great Christian community. So the, the Christian church, which is the new covenant, the new covenant, the gospel of the new covenant, which creates the Christian church, this is the heavenly Jerusalem. This is the community we want to be a part of. You should not be jealous of some ethnic national community desperate to be part of that. You should not be jealous of other people's nations, of other people's physical bloodlines. I wish I was part of that nation. I wish I was part of that culture. I was part of that bloodline. No, Paul says there is a new Jerusalem. It's above, a spiritual one, and that's the community you want to be a part of. You don't want to be a citizen of modern-day, present, ethnic Jerusalem. You want to be a citizen of what that nation originally pointed to. To see that, keep your marker here, but turn to the book of Revelation. This is just to, to clear up why Paul's so comfortable mixing his metaphors here, so to speak. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. This is Jesus speaking to John in his vision. In John's vision, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. 
The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So John, in his vision, he, he, he prophesies the full consummation of the Christian church. The kingdom of God, when it is finally flowered, when it is finally consummated, this kingdom can be called the new Jerusalem. It's the heavenly Jerusalem that comes out of heaven onto the earth, or what Paul says in Galatians 3, the Jerusalem that is above. So we've got an earthly Jerusalem, and they're slaves, and they're unbelievers. But then we've got this heavenly Jerusalem, which is one day going to cover the earth, and that's the Jerusalem I want to be a part of. I don't want to be part of present-day Jerusalem. I want to be part of the Jerusalem that's in heaven, that's coming down from heaven and covering the earth. Paul says that it's the true descendants of Isaac and Abraham that make up heavenly Jerusalem, the uh, Jerusalem that is above, not present Jerusalem. So you see again, what is he doing? He is trying to strip these people of their ethnic mindsets. They are so obsessed with the Jewish culture and the Jewish bloodline and the Jewish system that he is trying to tell them these cultural things, these bloodline things were pointing to spiritual realities and that is what you need to grab hold of. So who is Sarah? Who is heavenly Jerusalem? Verse 26, she is our mother, the church. So who's your mama? Are you the mother of a slave? Are you a descendant of Hagar? Well, if you think works of the law save you, then yes, you are. But if you believe in a gospel of free grace, if you believe not in the Judaizer gospel, but the gospel of Paul, then Isaac is your brother. And Sarah, the church, is your mama. He continues in verse 27. He, he draws from the Old Testament a prophecy which proves this point. So he's not just appealing to Genesis now. Now he's going to appeal to Isaiah. And Isaiah, how does Isaiah prophesy the coming of the new covenant and the birth of the church? He says this, verse 27. This comes from Isaiah 54. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So this is so cool. So Sarah is the allegorical version of the church. Sarah is our spiritual mother, and she represents the church. And so look at Sarah's line. I know we talked about it already, but remember, Sarah was married for a long time, but she was barren. Her womb was dry. She had no children. But then all of a sudden, God intervenes, the promise of the new covenant intervenes, the prophecy of the Christian church, the descendants of Abraham intervenes, and then suddenly, Sarah has a child who then gives birth to many children. So now this barren woman, who is barren her entire life, is now the mother of an incredibly great lineage, one that God told Abraham would be more than the sands of the sea, more than the stars in the sky. So Sarah was barren, God intervenes, and now she has children, and then she has many grandchildren, many, many, and it just, now she's fruitful. And Paul says that this is a type for the Christian church. In the Old Covenant, the church was a hidden mystery. It was there. The church has always existed. But it was a hidden mystery, and it wasn't very fruitful. There weren't a lot of saved believers in Old Covenant times. Remember, the entire world was paganized. 
Everybody. They were all paganized. There were some Gentiles who had come to Jerusalem and worshipped the God of, of, of Yahweh, so the heir of Israel. So, I mean, there were some saved Gentiles. But by and large, the whole world was pagan. And that's because God chose, he sovereignly selected a specific nation. But here's the problem. Read your Old Testaments. Even within that specific nation, most of them were pagans. Pretty much the entire Old Testament story is the Jews wandering into idolatry, a prophet calling them back, momentary repentance, and then they wander again. And then a little bit of repentance, and then they wander again. And then they, I mean, read through the prophets. All it is is about a disobedient, rebellious, unbelieving people. So the Christian church was, was sort of generically speaking, analogously speaking, a barren woman. There was the believers that the church was there, the, the promise given to Abraham was there, but it was like there was no one. One of the prophets themselves had to ask God, am I the only one? And then all of a sudden God intervenes. And we hear the cries of a baby born in Bethlehem. And now look at the church. There are Christians all over the globe in every country and it's done nothing but grow and grow and grow every single year, every millennia. There are far more Christians throughout the world today than there were the day of Jesus' ascension. Far more. And we have no reason to think that trajectory is going to stop and go backward. So the Christian church in the old covenant could be considered a barren woman. But the Christian church in the new covenant is a very fruitful woman. Bearing countless children. And that's why Isaiah prophesies, O barren one, rejoice and break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. This barren woman who is producing no children, Isaiah says, do not Cry, do not worry, do not be distraught. No, you must rejoice because the time is coming when you will bear more children than any woman with a husband. You see, Paul wants us to be united to the Christian church, not to ethnic Jerusalem. He wants us to be citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem, not the present Jerusalem. He wants us to find a spiritual ancestry to Abraham, not a physical one. And these physical stories all point to this. That's why he concludes in verse 28 and 31. He says in verse 28, Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. That's what's important. Not being a child of the flesh, but being a child of promise like Isaac. He says in verse 31, his conclusions, So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So in other words, the way Paul responds when the Judaizers come in and tell these Gentile believers, you need to become Jewish to be saved. You need to obey the law to be saved. Paul responds with a yo mama joke. Maybe yo mama a slave. My mama ain't no slave. Your mama's a slave. My mama's free. I'm a spiritual descendant of Isaac, which makes me, I'm a brother and sister with Isaac, which makes me a spiritual descendant of Sarah, and she wasn't a slave. So if you want to believe in a gospel of slavery, you can go and have fun believing that gospel of slavery, but make no mistake about it, your spiritual ancestor now are slaves. You don't come from Isaac. You're not brothers and sisters with Isaac. You're with Ishmael. You are slaves with Ishmael. And so his conclusion then gives us a very natural application. 
But he gives us the application in the text. So what do I do with this? What do I do with this understanding of the text that I want to be part of the free Jerusalem. I want to believe in a free gospel. I want to be a descendant of Sarah. I want to be a brother with Isaac. What's the application of that? Well, notice he finds another type in the story. This is our application. Look at verse 29. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. So in the story of Genesis, there's a time when Ishmael mocks Isaac. He mocks him, he laughs at him. And this makes Sarah so mad. And she sees this competition brewing. She says, we need to, we need to cut this off. So she tells Abraham, you need to cast them out. So Abraham, again, he listens and he does. And Abraham kicks Hagar and Ishmael out of his home. And so Paul says, this is a type, this is a foreshadow of spiritual realities also. So in the same way that Ishmael, the, the, the son of the flesh, persecuted the son of the promise, we're seeing that today. He, we're seeing that in the Galatian controversy. These physical Jews, these Jews of the flesh, have come in and they are now persecuting the Jews of the spirit. They're persecuting these spiritual Jews. And they're trying to bring spiritual Jews into slavery. So what do we do? What do you, as a free child of God, believing in a free gospel of grace, what do you do when someone tempts you with a gospel of law, with a religion of slavery? What's your response? Well, look at verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. You cannot believe in a gospel of works and inherit the promises of God. Ishmael was not able to inherit the same promises given to Isaac. The slave cannot inherit the promises with the free. So when someone wants you, as an individual or us as a church, to believe in a gospel of works, to believe in a gospel of slavery to law, what's our job? Cast them out. Cast them out. That's not the gospel we believe here. That's not the message we teach here. You can go be slaves and inherit what slaves inherit all you want, but we are free children of God in this church. Our mama, Sarah. Our mama, Sarah. So if you want to be free from the law, if you want to be free from condemnation to sin, I would call you today to cast off your slavery of the law and embrace Christ Jesus by faith. Turn to Jesus Christ, believe in him, and you shall make yourself a citizen of the Jerusalem that is above. You shall make yourself a descendant of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob. You shall make yourself a free person, part of a free society, redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn to Christ by faith, repent, and believe in him.